0: How are you doing tonight? It's about 7 o'clock. That means it's time for our Bible study here at Santee Circle Church of God. It is July the 7th. Man, it's hard to believe we're already in July, isn't it? To God be the glory. We are so excited that you have joined us this evening and are wanting to be a part of our services today. We are privileged and honored to have you a part of that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of uh, Romans chapter number 13 book of Romans chapter 13 we're also going to be in the book of Proverbs chapter number 7 we're just going to give a few minutes to let some folks join on here just for a second as you can tell we are mobile today uh, i am not at the church uh, i am not in uh, south carolina i am in uh, north dakota excuse me south dakota and so we are so honored to have you joining us for bible study i I was able to break away a little bit to go ahead and record, excuse me, this service today. So uh, hopefully you're, you're joining us, and hopefully uh, you can uh, see us this evening and be a part of the festivities tonight. I want us to continue to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, we have quite a few requests to pray for. continue to pray for Sister Bonnie Gunn, as well as uh, Sister Laura Mae Skipper, Sister Faye Huff, and others who are... Uh, Still needing a touch from the Lord, continue to pray for Brother Jimmy Villanueva and others uh, in the church that are just battling some some recovery, some sickness, and things like that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you, God, you are very present, helped in time of trouble. We thank you that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Lord, we thank you that we are able to come tonight and study your word together as the body of Christ. Father, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would be with us as we study your word. God, I pray for Sister Monty Gunn, who touch her and her body with that cancer. pray for Sister Laura May Skipper, Sister Jane. pray for Sister Faye Huff, who all are homebound and needing a touch from the Lord. I pray for Brother Jimmy Villanueva, uh, Lord, who needs a touch in his body today as well. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we study your word. You would continue to lead, guide, and protect us. And we would thank you and praise you for all that you do for us each and every day. Bless the bread of life we take in this moment and this hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's uh, get right into uh, Bible study tonight, if you don't mind. Let's go ahead and jump right into the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 13, verse number 8. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, O no man anything, but love one another, for he that loveth one another has fulfilled the law. O no man anything. That is an interesting word. We're going to talk about tonight as we continue our study on journey to living wisely in a foolish world. We're going to talk about how to get out of debt, how to not let debt become a master or become a manipulator of your life. Because, you know, the Bible tells us God does not want us to be subjected or be subject to being in indebtedness or letting debt ruin or run our lives. So Paul tells the church at Rome there, and we have studied uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about that Paul didn't actually write the book of Romans a, in Rome. He actually had not been there yet. He probably wrote that uh, in somewhere in uh, Greece area and uh, was sending this letter ahead of time before his arrival. He longed to go to Rome, but he had never had been to Rome before. And so he's telling this Roman church, make sure you don't owe anybody anything because when you owe people money or when you owe your your, your friends, your family, things like that, you made yourself subjected, or made yourself become a uh, uh, indebted to that person. They have become a master or a ruler over you. If you look at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7, I want to read another passage of Scripture before we before we ju- jump right into this. Proverbs 22 and 7. The Bible says this. It says that the rich ruleth over the poor. And the borrower is subjected or subject to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, but the borrower is subject to the lender. We're going to talk about that for a few minutes, about being subjected or being under, uh, if you will, uh, the iron thumb or rule of someone who is indebted or has an indebtedness uh, in their lives. You know, I firmly believe that one of the biggest problems in America today uh, is that of debt. In fact, uh, many people struggle with personal debt. They have they have uh, uh, the inability to to say no to credit cards or to live above their means. They're trying to always live up to be the upper echelon, like the Joneses or the Smiths. They're trying to to live a life uh, above what they can afford, and so they use credit cards and other mechanisms and means to Create an environment to allow them to live above that which they are physically able to do. Uh, when uh, uh, around 2007, the average American was indebted. Listen to this: the average American was in debt uh, at six. Excuse me, at eight thousand dollars. Eight thousand dollars in personal debt. In 2007. In fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, in 2021, the average debt was $6,000 that people uh, were indebted to each other. $6,000 uh, when we talk about the term uh, being in debt. In fact, most of that is all centered on credit cards. That's just credit cards. Credit cards, consumer credit cards, an average of six grand in debt. You see, the average American typically lives paycheck to paycheck. There are so many people that are struggling. Now, now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. I'm not saying if you struggle living paycheck to paycheck that that that's bad. You shouldn't. That shouldn't be your end goal. But I know some things like single parents or or, or people that are from divorced families, whatever. sometimes losing that extra bit of income has left you with bills or payments or things that are challenging to pay for in the circumstance of being on one income and so in essence uh, we're talking about people who could who have means and resources that they didn't have to live paycheck to paycheck but they choose to do so by spending frivolously you see uh, when they miss a, when someone misses a paycheck oftentimes they're in big trouble uh, most Americans spend more than they make in terms of leading which obviously leads to indebtedness uh, you know money in in some respect is is uh, is, is very dangerous in fact uh, the writer uh, pt barnum said this pt barnum said money is in some respects like fire it is an excellent servant but a terrible master he said money is in some aspect and some respects is like fire it is a is an excellent servant it'll 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 catch quickly but it is a terrible master it'll it's destructive. It will destroy everything in its path. And many people's finances are like that. They're like a fire. They're out of control. They they cannot control their finances. They are in a mess. Uh, they don't know how to uh, handle their finances appropriately. And it gets them all out of whack and all messed up financially speaking. And so when we talk about this, we're talking about how if we're not careful, we will become subject to letting our finances master a rule over us in an essence when it really should be that our finances should be a gift or an asset given to us from God, but not be something that is a ruler or a master over us. So we're talking about debt. And so one of the things that I wanted to share with you tonight is how do we get in debt? What are some of the reasons? What what causes these people to be subjected and let money be their rule and master over trusting God with their finances? Here's a couple things I think. I'm going to call these, if you will, the debt demons. These are these are things I'm going to call the debt demons. They are they are, are destructive, if you will. And the first one is obviously credit cards. You know, uh, for the short amount of time that I have been senior pastoring, and even in the times that I served in a uh, associate role or advisory role as a pastor, uh, I have seen the financial demons rear up and cause catastrophic damage on families and homes. In fact, I've seen it destroy marriages. I've seen it destroy homes. I've seen it be destructive. I've seen it to be literally uh, 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 a toxic environment and cause catastrophic damage within the familial structure that is known as the family unit. In fact, uh, I would suffice to say, uh, sorry, I'm hearing some noise over there, so I keep looking and see if someone's coming up uh, because I am in a public place uh, doing this uh, Bible study right now. But but uh, those of you that are joining, though, thank you for joining. We are so glad you are here, and thank you for being a part and sharing your time with us tonight. We are so honored to have you join us. Again, this is the Santee Circle Church of God in Monks Corner, South Carolina, midweek Bible study off-site, actually across the United States. <laughs> Uh, in South Dakota, but we are so glad you're joining us this evening. But that 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 money demon of credit cards—I've seen money literally, I believe, be more catastrophic and more tragic than that sometimes of of uh, drugs or alcohol uh, uh, things that have hit families. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 14 and 28 that if a man intends to build a tower, he should first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough money and resources to pay to complete the job. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He says if you're going to build something, build a tower, build a a, a structure of any size, if you're going to build something, he says that someone should literally sit down and make a plan, make a budget, budget out, make a plan of action, if you will. How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to afford it? What kind of resources do we have? Do we have enough money in the bank? If we do have enough money in the bank, who's going to make the mortgage payment? Who's going to make the payment? He says you should sit down and count the cost to make sure you can afford it before you do it. You see, let me give you uh, very quickly some uh, examples if you don't mind uh, this evening. Suppose you owe $8,000 on a credit card. And let's say you, you take out and you buy uh, uh, something about eight grand. And you put it on a credit card, and you make a monthly payment of about $113 a month, which would actually be more than the minimum payment. But let's say your APR, your, 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 your interest rate is about 17%. We'll go – because sometimes they're a little bit higher than that, but we'll say about 17%. So you have an $8,000 credit card payment uh, – credit card charge. You're making about $113 per month payment, uh, and you have about a 17% interest rate. Do you realize that it would if you stopped using the card right then after eight thousand dollar charge, one hundred and thirteen dollars we're gonna pay a month, seventeen percent interest rate? If you stopped using that, it would take you over forty years to pay off the eight thousand dollars and you will have paid back about fifty-two thousand dollars in compound interest. You would have made an eight thousand dollar purchase, but now oh fifty or have paid fifty two thousand dollars in interest, which means you have paid over sixty thousand dollars to purchase an eight thousand dollar item. You have spent sixty grand for that eight thousand dollar item. You see those hidden what I call uh, the hidden cost of credit cards, they're like bullying tactics. They they know they encourage impulse buying. They encourage you to to do things and so why do you think you get three and four and five credit cards a week or a month in the mail telling you to sign up for this APR this interest rate they'll give you cash back they'll do this They'll do that because they understand that you will buy more if you have that credit card in fact well statistics show us that that most people will spend 30% more if they have a credit card rather than if they pay cash most people that spend on credit card on an average spend 30% more or buy 30% more in spending than if they had cash in hand. So you're, you're buying 30% more than you really need if you have credit cards. In fact, Proverbs 13 and 18 says this, poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, meaning those who won't keep discipline. In fact, to spend with cash – Literally means you have to be disciplined. You have to know how to handle your money appropriately, when to spend it, how to spend it, how much to spend it, how to budget it out. But a credit card just keeps swiping, 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 and you'll end up spending more in the long run. And so Proverbs, uh, the, the, the writer in Proverbs, uh, the wisdom of Solomon says in Proverbs 18 he, or 13 in verse 18, he says that poverty and shame will follow those who don't have discipline, those who don't make a plan, those who don't look at how to pay for their stuff, those who don't budget, those who don't make sure that they have the resources to do so, if they're not careful, they will end up spending more money and putting themselves further and further in debt and being further further uh, enslaved, if you will, and ensnared by the indebted, uh, by the enemy called indebtedness or debt. Another demon uh, that uh, I believe that causes problems is that of cars. Uh, you know automobiles. In fact, many people believe the old myth that you are what you drive, and so people will go out and buy a new automobile based on not what they what they need, but what they want. See, so what we need is four wheels, an engine, and it crank and it run, or and have enough seats and seat belts to get us from point A to point B. But we oftentimes want it. We want the DVD player. We want the navigation. We want the power steering. Are the windows, power doors, we want the heated seats, lumbar support, the air-conditioned seats, we want all the amenities, running boards, right, uh, 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 bike racks up top, luggage racks, we want all these amenities on these cars. Most people, on an average, uh, lose about 20% of the value of the car the moment they drive off the parking lot buying a car. So that means that if you bought a if you bought a thirty thousand dollar car, that as soon as you signed the dotted lines at that dealership and you put the key in the ignition and you drive literally out the parking lot and the four tires hit the pavement on the main highway, your car just depreciated six thousand dollars. A thirty thousand dollar car you just you just budgeted out for and borrowed for a thirty grand car, but as soon as you drove off the parking lot, it's now a twenty four thousand dollar car. $6,000 immediately just driving out the parking lot, turn around and bring it back in, you lost six grand because of the 20% depreciation in value. If you drive that over the next 12 months, just for one year, you will lose another 10% in depreciation on an average, which means you will have lost 30% in that. So what that means is that you will have literally lost nine, and if you take that car and drive it one year, you will lose $9,000. So if you pay $30,000 for a car, And in the the one year anniversary of the date you buy, you bring it back to the dealership and you tell them, I want to trade it in. They're going to tell you at best your car is worth $21,000. Of course, you're going to owe still a lot more payments because you ain't paid that much down on it in the first year. So you would only be able to get $21,000 top dollar back for that car. See, what I'm saying is you can lose that amount of money because pride, we talked about that pride in people causes them to make unwise and foolish decisions. So the pride causes people to want to drive these really nice cars. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with it, but can you afford it? Can you buy it? In fact, in reality, we need to do better in paying for our, our stuff and have a plan. In fact, Proverbs 29 and 23 says a man's pride will bring him low. That's what pride does. Pride will take you. It'll make you think like you want to live up here, but it'll actually, before it's over, we'd bring you to rock bottom. It'll bring you low. It'll make you owe people. And and have to borrow things, you'll be indebted to people, and that's not of God, God does not want that, and so when we, it is uncommon for people, uh, excuse me, it's actually not uncommon for people, a lot of people will drive a car two or three years, they'll take it back to the dealership, hey, I want a new car, I want a new car, and they'll ask it, they'll say, hey, look, I, I want a brand new car, but I want my monthly payments to stay about the same, so what they're doing is, they they have a, a two or three-year-old car, and they still owe about $12,000, $14,000 on this car, and then they want to trade it in on a car, that a newer car that's going to have about the same payment. What they're doing is just continuing to roll over this debt on top of debt. And they're never going to get ahead or get out of debt, if you will. And so they want to keep buying this car because they are, they're prideful. that Their pride gets to them. In fact, most uh, financial advisors would tell you that if you are to borrow to buy a car, you should not finance it more than three years. You should be able to budget out and find out what the monthly payment would be on a three-year plan, a 36-month plan. And if they can tell you uh, the payments in 36 months, and then you buy that car. And then if you can't afford to make the payments, to pay it off in 36 months, then that's probably a car you shouldn't buy because you will pay more in interest than the value of the car. And so a lot of people will do five-year, six-year plans, or they'll do whatever. But sometimes that can be unwise if not handled appropriately. So I want to talk how do we get out of the the snowball effect. Excuse me, of debt. That we put ourselves in. In fact, many of you may have heard of Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey years ago uh, wrote a program called Financial Peace University, and it was like a course that you take. In fact, we have the the entire Financial Peace University um, uh, program, software, DVDs, all that at the church. Uh, uh, so uh, we have that, and we actually uh, may look at teaching a Financial Peace University class uh, here uh, in, in, in the not so near future. And uh, so we, uh, we we know he wrote this thing and he talked about uh, the debt snowball. And, it, and what he's talking about is a snowball. If you take a snowball and you keep rolling snow in it and you keep more and more snow, over time the snowball gets bigger, 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 bigger. Then you got this massive snowball. He says debt's a lot like that. If we're not careful, we'll keep getting in debt and in more debt and more debt and more debt and more debt. And before it's over with, we'll have this massive amount. Of debt that we owe, not only to uh, to ourselves, but but other people. We will be indebted, if you will, to so uh, many people. So let's talk for a few minutes, while I still have a little bit of time with you tonight, about how that how that applies. How do we get out of that debt? So the first thing is, a lot of times, is to go have plastic surgery, cut up those credit cards. You must stop charging. Uh, you must stop going further into debt by buying things you can't afford. If you can't pay for it in house in cash. Then you shouldn't buy it. You say, well, Pastor, I need a, I, I need a, a credit card uh, to to continue to make sure I can afford uh, my, uh, my 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 way of living. I need that credit card to be able to afford how to continue to pay uh, for uh, what I need. Well, you can keep credit cards for emergency purposes, uh, but reality of the fact is, you you should not keep. Uh, uh, a credit card to spend, it should literally be for emergency purposes. In fact, you should cancel that credit card so that you don't go any further in debt. In fact, the additional cards you have, what you should do is you should put it in a metal can, put water in it, and freeze it. Freeze it. (laughs) And stick it in your freezer. You say, well, why put it in a metal can and freeze it? Well, because you won't be able to put it in the microwave and thaw it out in an easy convenience. You have to take some time to get it out. Joking, obviously, do it to do that. But the point is, try not to let that credit card become a temptation and a crutch to continue to let your personal finances snowball out of effect. So it takes the average, the average uh, in speaking with credit card uh, counselors and advisors, they have told me that uh, just in my research that it takes about an average of six months for someone to uh, stop having credit card withdrawals. So it takes about six months for someone to, Basically, be uh, 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 get over their withdrawals. You know how an alcoholic drinks and then they have a withdrawal or whatever else. They're saying it takes six months for someone to, to, to not have withdrawals uh, uh, from credit card debt and things of that nature. So here's what Proverbs 21 and 20 says. There is a precious treasure in oil in the dwelling place of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Another translation said a foolish man will squander it. There's precious treasure, money, assets, value. There's precious treasure and oil in the house of the wise. But foolish people will squander it is what he's saying. If we're not careful, what little bit of resources and things God has given us, we will squander them and lose them, the assets of them, because we don't know how to handle it wisely. You know, in fact, one of the ways – People think, well I should just start paying a little bit a little bit and try to take off these big chunks of debt. In fact, most credit card uh, counselors and advisors say you should do this. Take the smallest credit card bill you have and strive so hard to pay it off as fast as possible. So let's say you got a $2,000 credit card bill. Let's say you got multiple credit cards. You got a $2,000 credit card bill. Take that bill, try to pay it off as fast as possible. Then whatever the monthly payment was that you paid on that start using that and start making additional payments on the next one. So let's say the next credit card bill you had, you were paying $50 a month, but then now that you paid this other one off, maybe you can do $150 a month. So make a $150 payment and slowly start just eating. You know, I've often heard it said, you know, uh, you know the best way to eat a camel? One bite at a time. You can't eat an entire, uh, you know, animal. You couldn't eat an entire, you know, cow one bite. You'd have to Take it in small chunks. It's impossible to eat that massive of a structure that much without one bite at a time. Same concept. Take a little bit of time. Then the next the next one, pay it off. So now you've got two credit cards paid off, so take that. So now maybe you can pay $300 a month. Then pay that on the next big one and just keep taking chunk after chunk after chunk. Don't try to pay all this stuff, but take a little bit at a time. Get the first one paid off. It's the smallest amount of debt. Pay it off as fast as possible. Then use that. To continue, and then over time, what you will see is the more you do that, you will get this sense of victory. You'll start feeling like you've accomplished something. You'll start being like, "Wow, I was able to do that. I was able to accomplish that. I was able to 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 create, if you will, uh, a victory. I was able to accomplish something, and it will it will make you strive to continue to live like that and do that uh, and make those things uh, a part of your daily routine and structure. And so. You pay those off a little bit of time. Another thing is plan plan your spending. Plan how you're going to spend your money. In fact, you should always know where your money is going. You see, if you don't know where your money is going, uh, then, then that's danger zone. In fact, I tell people all the time uh, that you could take, typically, you, you could take someone's checkbook outside of essentials, you know, gas, things like that, you know, house payments and, and insurances. You can take someone's checkbook and look at the checkbook, and you could find where their treasure is. You know the Bible says? The uh, Bible says, lay up your treasures in heaven where thieves uh, can't break in and steal, nor moth can come in and eat, or, 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 or rust can destroy. What it is saying to us is, says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you leave your treasures on earth, that's where your heart's going to long to be. But where you, if, you, or if you're longing for heaven, you'll lay up your treasures in heaven. And I often tell people you can look – excuse me, uh, something just flew in my ear – I often tell people you can look at someone's checkbook and you can kind of tell where their treasure is. You can kind of look and see where their heart is. If they spend it a lot on eating out, if they spend it a lot at ball games, they spend it a lot at whatever fitness, uh, you know, gym memberships, things like that. Their heart is in that. That is their desires, is the desires of their heart. The Bible says delight yourself in the Lord gives you the desires of your heart. But our checkbooks oftentimes tell us where our desires really are. And so when we plan, we, know, we make this plan on spending – Nobody likes to hear it, but it's it's an old word that used to be thrown around. It's called budget. You know, I've seen people do an envelope system where they will uh, budget in cash. They will budget out. They'll say, okay, here's our budget. Here's how much our average utilities cost. Here's an average of what our electric and water bill costs. Here's an average of what the cable costs. Average of what the cell phone costs. They will put an envelope system. And they will literally put money in these envelope systems, and they'll even have what they call a fun account or a fun money account. And they'll put a little bit of each paycheck in there $5 here, $10 there. And then they'll go out, out, eat, and they'll eat or something on that fun money. But when that envelope is empty, they will not do it. They'll eat at home or whatever with groceries until they can replenish that envelope so they don't keep falling out of whack. And they have this envelope system. I've seen people use uh, different online mechanisms and tools. Uh, in fact, you can use things like Quicken Books, you can use uh, Microsoft Money, uh, you can use uh, all kinds of budgeting tools. Some, some, some uh, iPhones as well as uh, apps in Google Play have actual uh, – and some banks, I think Navy Federal and some others actually have apps that actually help you budget and can give you like a, a spreadsheet, if you will, with inside the app to tell you how much you're spending on food, how much you're spending on recreation, how much you're spending on gas. You know, it gives you a budget and percentages and tells you how much you've spent in an X amount of time. And they can help you create budgeting spreadsheets or budget uh, schedules that you can follow. And so you can use these books, and, and it helps you know where to spend your money. And so in order to get out of debt, not only should you cut up the credit cards and things like that, and if you got to have a, a one for emergency purposes, okay, but hide it away so it's not tempting. But also, also know where your money is. When you get a paycheck, know how you're going to spend it. Don't just spend it frivolously. Don't go to Walmart and just start buying. Make a grocery list and stay stringent on that list. Say, okay, you know what? I only need milk, eggs, bread, cheese, water, whatever. Don't start buying all this extra chips and dip and cookies, stay stringent on that. Uh, take a different route home so you don't keep passing Starbucks to buy $10 cups of coffee. You know, some people spend somewhere between, I read one statistic that some people spend on average somewhere between $80 to $100 a month on Starbucks coffee. An average of $80 to $100 a month on, on coffee because it's about six, 5 or $6 a cup and, and $5 a cup. And so what they do is they start, they buy it multiple times throughout the week. And so they'll spend somewhere, you know, between $20 $25 a week on coffee, buying it one per day, going to work or whatever. And it ends up being like $100 a month in coffee, Starbucks coffee. Buy a Mr. Coffee and buy the pre-made filters and stick it in there and make you a 12-cup coffee for half the cost. You know what I'm saying? And so... Uh, you can see that as a part of the plan. You might hear it; it's beginning to rain <laughs> uh, here as well. And I'm glad I have sheltered tonight. Uh, but, but make sure that you know uh, where your money is going. In fact, Proverbs 21 and 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but everyone who roost hastily leads to poverty. The plans of diligent people lead surely to plenty, but the, those who act hastily will surely lead to poverty. Those who have impulse buying, those who do things frivolously and quickly and out of a spontaneous control, they will end up being the ones that will be impoverished. But those who are wise and diligent and stringent on their plans, they are more apt to be successful in their abilities to become very uh, uh, prudent in spending and have money to spend. Number three, not only should you uh, worry about your credit cards and get rid of them and plan your spending, But never borrow money for things that depreciate in value. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying don't use your credit card to go buy $500 worth of clothes. They're not worth $500 worth of clothes after you buy them. Don't buy $500 worth of electronics, TVs. Don't buy $500 worth of, if you can help it, don't go spend a bunch of money on Big furniture and if you can and if you borrow a little bit to pay for furniture you know try to pay it off as soon as possible but don't go spend thousands of dollars you don't have for furniture if you can afford it because those depreciate by you ever never you went on marketplace uh, on Facebook or, or, or Craigslist some people have the nicest they'll say it's practically brand new couches selling at two three hundred dollars and it was this they'll list in it oh bought this couch a year ago thousand dollars sectional love seat with Bluetooth uh, all this stuff in it, $300. Why are they selling it for $300? Because they know they can't get $1,000 for it because it's depreciated in value. So be smart, be stringent, be, be cognizant of knowing that it's going to lose its value. If you, It is okay to borrow money, I would say, personally, for a car. Because, uh, because if you don't finance it over three years and you can pay it off within three years, you won't really have lost money. You will have paid basically what the car is worth and not have a bunch of interest you've occurred. Uh, if you finance a car, make sure that it's no more than three years. Outside of that, if it's over three years, then I would advise you it's probably a car that you can't afford or should not purchase. Uh, keep, uh, you know, keep the car after after you keep the car two or three years. Once that car is paid off, if you only finance it for three years, once that car is paid off, you can take now the money you were making on that payment since you can afford the payment and start putting it in the bank. And that monthly payment start paying towards that instead of using that and saying, oh, well, Pastor, I got an additional two hundred dollars now, so I'm able to go out and eat more often. No, stay stringent on your budget, and then take that two hundred dollars, put it in the bank, and keep saving two hundred dollars a month each month, so that by the end of the year, you got twenty-four hundred. or uh, you got, uh, yeah, uh, let's see, uh, yeah, twenty-four hundred dollars in the bank. Then do it the next year, that would make you forty-eight hundred dollars, and the next year. You know, it would keep building, and, and 68, or excuse me, uh, 7,200, and it would keep building, and so that eventually you'll have a good down payment on a car, so that in two or three more years you could almost pay cash. If you do that for two or three cars in a row, and you just keep doing it like that, before long, by the time you get ready to buy your third car, you'll have twenty thousand dollars in the bank, pay cash. You won't even have to borrow. You pay cash. Then you take that money. You see what I'm saying? You, you follow what the pastor's saying? Then you can build on that and build on that and build on that. It keeps building and growing. So be smart. In fact, I think it was Dave Ramsey that actually said, live like no one else today. Or or excuse me, save like no one else today so you can live like no one else tomorrow. What he is saying is be on a budget today. Don't go spend and do what all your neighbors and friends. Don't try to live like the Joneses and try to compete with everybody in town buying the biggest and baddest save today and everybody's think you're foolish, you're crazy, you're dumb, you got all that money, why are you saving it? Why aren't you doing this? Say, no, no, I'm saving. So that down the road, when they're like, I can't afford this, I can't afford that, you now can live in retirement and things like that. When they retire, they'll still be living paycheck to paycheck on Social Security. You'll be able to have a nice retirement and be very successful because you will have saved when no one else was saving to be able to live like no one else had lived tomorrow because you have planned, you have been ready, you have made sure you were ready to live in a way that no one else could live. So save today like no one else so you can live like no one else tomorrow. In fact, I read you the scripture, the borrow is subject to the lender. So now you'd have the money. So those same people that are now talking to you about how you're being ridiculous, eventually they may be coming to you saying, hey, can I borrow some money from you and I don't want to pay 10 you know, 12% interest to the bank. Or can I pay you back at a 6 or 7% interest? And if you come up with it and agree to it and trust them to do so, you're now making money, because you 'cause you're, now the one that's lending the money. So be smart with your finances. It's okay to borrow money for a home or a business because those oftentimes appreciate in value. So it's obviously going to go up in value, and you can pay that debt off. It is okay. That's kind of like a financial reverse. You you pay for it, but in the long run, you could sell it and and you could get out of debt right right back in, in no time. It's okay to do it for education. Uh, People say, well, I don't want to spend a much. If you can help it, try not to spend a lot of money in education. But if you can't afford it, you know, uh, can't afford it, then yes, it's okay to borrow a little bit of money to get a good education because that good education, again, is a lifetime investment. It's going to make a lifetime investment. Psalms 37, 21 says, the wicked borrows and never intends to repay, meaning wicked people will borrow money with no cognizant thinking They'll borrow money and not think of the consequences that ensue. Be smart. Be wise. Be prudent. Fourthly, be content with what you have. The Apostle Paul says, in whatever state I find myself, I'm going to find myself, therefore, to be content. Be content with what you have. Don't try to have a better car because somebody else has a better car. If your car is good and it works, be content. You don't have to have a Lexus, a BMW, or, or a Mercedes, or a Jaguar, or a Lamborghini. Be content with that Corolla or that Toyota or that Honda or that Buick or that whatever, Nissan. Be content with what you have. Be content. If you're not content with what you have, now you'll never be content. No matter what, no matter how much, you'll never have enough to be content. In fact, Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Meaning he who loves money, money will not satisfy him. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. He said over a short amount of time, eventually, it won't matter how much you spend, how much you want, you won't ever be happy. Commitment is, excuse me, contentment. Contentment is not complacency. Being content does not mean you have no goals or ambitions. No, you can still have goals and ambitions and be content. It doesn't mean like, well, I'll just never have a good house. I'll never have a good car. No, if you you want to have a better house or have a better car, okay, set yourself up financially to be able to do so. Contentment is not complacency. It is just a mean to be thankful and for the blessings you already have. Set goals. Set ambition. Try to better yourself financially. Contentment means that you enjoy what you have now, but you still can strive to do better. In fact, the Bible tells us God wants you to enjoy what you have. Ecclesiastes 5.19 tells us God wants you to enjoy it. But he doesn't also want you to go head over heels in debt to live in enjoyment. And the final aspect tonight that I want to cover is... Learn to give back to God. You're going to say, oh, Lord, here it he goes. Preachers going to preach on ties and giving money to the church. No, I'm not going to harp on it, but I'm going to tell you that it is biblical. In fact, if you're watching me right now and you don't financially support your church, whether it's Santi Circle Church of God or what other church you, you're, uh, you go to, you're in direct opposition to the Word of God. The Word of God says you are to make sure that you financially support the church in your temporal means in your giving you say, well, Pastor, I don't have a home church. Well, you can give to, to, to the church of your desire. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to partner with Santee Circle Church of God. In our ministry, you can go to Circle C-O-G, dot O-R-G, and click the uh, Give app, and it'll take you right to the opportunity to do so. But if you have a home church, give your home church. But the Bible says we are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render to God the things that are God. And every blessing we receive has come from Almighty God. Amen? It has come from God. And so I want you to understand that giving to God also is a part of the how to get out of debt strategy. If you want God to bless your finances, then you must be faithful in giving God back what rightfully is His from your finances. How is God going to be able to bless finances if He doesn't even know He can trust you? The Bible said the servant went out, the, the master went out and gave everyone a certain amount of talents. And when He came back, all of them made money except the one had gotten one time He said, so "I knew you were a prudent man, a shrewdful man. I didn't want to take your money, and I knew you'd be upset with me if I spent it. So I i just saved it, uh, and I just dug a hole. I didn't do nothing with it." And the master, the master said, "You foolish, wicked servant!" And he threw him out into utter darkness, where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. He, he said, "You wicked servant!" Because what he is saying is, "I entrusted you with it, but you did nothing with it." How the Bible said, "If God sees, He gives you a little." Then he can, it, 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 too much, too little is given, much, you know, little is required, much is given, much is required. But he said that everyone, everyone that made money or made took their talent and doubled it, he said, you are a faithful servant. And he, much has been given, much is required. He gave them more. He entrusted them with more the next time. It's the same way. How is God going to bless your finances if he doesn't see you trusting him with your current finances, giving back to him? How does he know you're going to give back to him down the future? He doesn't know you're going to support and give that. In fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 3 and 9, honor the Lord with all thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. That, that is talking about your money. Honor the Lord with all that you have, with everything God has given you. Honor him with that and then give back to him the first fruit. So, out of your paycheck, give him that first fruits from before. You know, the Bible is very clear. God gives us, uh, we get 100% of our paycheck. I mean, I know you got taxes, but whatever you bring home is 100% yours, right? God only asks for ten percent, which means you got ninety percent to live off of. Now, some people say, "Well, Pastor, do I need to tithe off of my gross or my net? My net is just what I take home because my, you know, the taxes that the government takes out." Well, the Bible said, "Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render to God the things that are God." Uh, did did God did God take your money? I don't think so. So I, I would advise, I personally would tell you, that if you get paid eight hundred twenty-five dollars a week, but you only bring home seven seventy-five. You should be paying tithes on the $825, $82.50 a week because that is what you made. Now, the government might have took some taxes up, but that is what you earned. You earned $825. So you should give God the first fruits of that. In Proverbs 3 and 10, it says that if we, well, first, I'll go back, Proverbs 3 and 9, honor the Lord with thy substance with the first fruits of thine increase. And then Proverbs 3 and 10 says this, if you do that, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats or your, your storage will overflow with new wine. He's saying if you entrust to God the first fruits of your money, you trust God the first fruits of your time. You can get more than tithes. It's just more than just money. Time and resources, and talents, there's more to it, but if you give God your first fruits, what will happen is God will in return press down, shake it together, and make it run over, your vats will be plenty, your barns will overflow, because God will bless you, because he gave you a little, and then you gave it back to him, so he can trust you, and so when God knows he can trust you, he'll give you more than you can ever imagine, or supersede your expectations, so how much should we give back to God, well the Bible says in Malachi 3 and 8, will a man rob God, Yes, he has robbed me. The Bible but ye say, Where have we robbed you, God? And God said in reply, in tithes and in offerings. The Bible teaches us we are to give back at least 10%, ten percent ten percent of what we make back to God. If we're not doing that, we rob God. There is a difference between stealing and robbing. Stealing is this. Stealing is me going into your house taking something that doesn't belong to me, but you know nothing about it because I stole it from you. I took something that was not somebody else's, but they weren't around. Robbing somebody is where I take something that belongs to them, their personal property, I invade their personal property. I take something that belongs to them in their presence. So when we say there was an, a, a robbery or an in-home invasion, there was a robbery, or somebody robbed somebody at gunpoint. They literally took the money, the backpack, the satchel, the computer in the presence of the owner. They robbed them in their own. If they stole it, they would have been, they were sitting over here, nobody saw it, nobody knows. Who's it was, they grabbed it took off running. Robbing it. So when we say, when the Bible says, you have robbed God in your tithes and offerings, what it is saying is, God of the cosmos is looking down from heaven. And every Sunday we sit in church and we don't give back to God in tithes and offerings. God's looking at us, rob him of the gifts and talents and, and things he's given us. So when we don't tithe, we're not stealing from God. We're robbing from God. Some people say, I'm so far in debt, I can't afford to tithe. Well, if you can't afford to do it, how do you expect God to entrust to get you out of debt? Because how is God going to entrust you with more money? Matthew 3, Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Luke 16.11 says, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous money, man, manin, mammon, which is money, who will commit to your trust true riches? Jesus is saying, if you've not been faithful with man's money, with, with the money of the wicked, if the money of the government... If you haven't been faithful with the money I've entrusted you over here, then how can I trust you with more money? That's powerful teaching right there. You see, how you handle your money reveals what you really think about God and His Word. I know this is a little bit different Bible study than you're normally used to hearing me teach, but I felt impressed to teach today on money and debt. I see so many people taking these stimulus checks and things like that, and they're buying stuff that they... They're not going to be able to afford to pay back later. They're spending more than they can afford. And so I would advise you and challenge you today, please be smart in finances. Cut up those credit cards and, and don't buy cars and things that you can't afford. If you're going to buy a car and go in debt with a car, try to limit it to about a three-year plan at best, 36 month. You know, don't, don't spend money or, or borrow money on things of depreciation value, electronics, furniture, clothes. Uh, do it on things like education, houses, things that appreciate in value. Don't Make sure you pay your tithes and offerings. Give back to God. Don't you know? do some plastic surgery. Don't continue to live the same way. Be content with what you have, and God will bless you. Father, I pray today you would be with the men and women that have listened to my voice today. Bless them. Bless them in financially. May you bless them and keep them. And your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them and lift up your countenance upon them. Give them. He's a God that passes all human understanding. And God, our hearts, start time again, may the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our God my rock and my redeemer. Be with all the requests and needs we have presented before you today and continue to bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been a privilege being with you. I will be home this Sunday, June the ele- July excuse me, July the 11th. Woo, it's months of running together. July the 11th to preach on Sunday morning. Part two of our series, Are You a Little Salty? I hope and pray you've had a blessed week. I pray that Pastor Tanner uh, brought a powerful, life-changing word On Sunday that you all thoroughly enjoyed. I know that he did a wonderful job from what I have heard and seen already, but I know that you are, uh, I've been blessed. If you weren't there Sunday, go back and watch it or listen to it uh, as well. I love you. I'm praying for you. Pray for me, and I say Travel Mercy's home. I'll be leaving in the next couple days on Friday, headed back to South Carolina. It has been a fun trip. It's been a busy trip. It's been an enjoyable trip, Uh, but I'm ready to see all my Santee Circle Church of God folks, my family. I miss you. Don't forget Sunday night, uh, July the 11th is our men and women's ministry night. We are going to ask everyone to bring a covered dish like last time, some finger foods, uh, and just bring some things together. We've got some leftover chicken and things from PBS, uh, Frozen that we'll cook and things like that, but bring some dishes, bring some finger foods. Let's have some fun. We will be having office elections. We'll be voting on our men and women's ministry presidents, and uh, so we will be doing that as well. I love you. I'm praying for you. God bless you. Have a wonderful night. See you soon. Goodbye.